Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on October 1st, 2023 on the basis of Luke chapter 18 verses 9 to 14. Our sermon today is taken from Luke chapter 18 here. Uh, It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is God's word. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Perhaps this is a stat that you've heard before, but they say, they say that 70 to 93 percent, don't ask me why it's 93 percent, but 70 to 93 percent of of communication is nonverbal. So within a conversation, you might be talking, right? But uh, honestly, what might communicate more throughout that conversation is your nonverbals, your posture, your expression, um, those kinds of things are your nonverbals, right? So I bet you we could do that right now, okay? So at the count of three, I want you to communicate to me boredom, okay? Ready? One, two, three. Okay, that was, that was weak. That was weak. There, I, I don't know. I, I didn't see any change in any of you to, to begin with. Are you all bored? <laughs> Let's do it one more time. One, two, three. Okay, yeah, there we go. That's good. Now, you don't get to do any more of those for the rest of the, the sermon here. But, but you did it, right? Without making any noise, you were able to effectively communicate to me boredom, right? That, that's what nonverbals do. Nonverbals, a lot of times, communicate what's going on in your head and in your heart. And sometimes that's intentional, Right? Sometimes you mean to communicate those things uh, through, your, through these nonverbal um, cues here. But sometimes it's not. For example, sometimes you might want to pretend like everything is, is all good. Life is good. Everything's peachy. But if it's actually not and you're just pretending, your nonverbals, they, they might give you away, right? Especially to, to those who know you the best. Your, your nonverbals a lot of times communicate what's in your your head, and what's in your heart, whether you know it or not. What do you think the nonverbals were of, of this parable here? We got two guys, right? We got the, the Pharisee, we got the tax collector. What was their posture towards God in, in the temple, the, the place of God there? Well, let, let's start with the Pharisee. We're told, all, all we're told from the text is that the Pharisee was standing, Right? He was standing in a place by, him, by himself. Now, we're not told anything more than that, but, but I'm guessing that you can, you can probably surmise some things from, or suppose some things from what was 
said here. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read what he said one more time. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. What do you picture? I, I picture this, this guy that is standing in a place where, where people can see him. It says he was standing by, by himself, but in a place where he was readily visible to the people around him, right? And, and as he speaks, he's not mumbling this prayer softly to himself. He, he's speaking at a volume where he's probably heard by some people around him. How do you picture him standing? What, what's his posture? You know, power stance, right, maybe? Like feet shoulder width apart, chest puffed out, head up, delighted look on his face as, as he prays to God. You, you might picture it a little bit differently. Uh, but the heart behind whatever his nonverbals were is pretty clear here. This guy is pretty confident in himself. He feels pretty good about himself. Compared to other people, especially, he feels like he's got his life together and that he has pretty good standing before God, that, that he would come into the temple of God uh, with an attitude like, like this. You, you notice how he, he justified that position? Catch his tactics there. Number one, he compared himself to other people. And number two, he found what in his mind were over and above acts of obedience to God. Right? That parable is spoken 2,000 years ago. But wow, how it still communicates today. We, we may not, we don't have a temple, right, to, to go and, and pray in. When we come to church, I don't have you come up and stand up and pray in the, in, in the hearing of everybody, um, but uh, there are certainly situations where we can think similar things. We may never say them out loud, but we think them in our head. The, the comparison thing, it's so natural to us, and we're so good at it, and there are some things that, that provide ample opportunity to do that. Social media is one of them. As you're scrolling through, you may not even want to compare yourself to other people, but, but you see something and you can't help it. it. It makes you feel a little bit better about yourself when you compare yourself to whatever's going on in that person's life. When you hear that little bit of gossip, right, you may not mean to do it, but, but you do it. You feel a little bit better about that area of your life because that other person is struggling in that area. And here's the thing about the, the comparison game. You, you can play that game all you want because no matter how quote-unquote bad you might be, this world's big. There's a lot of people and you can always find somebody who in your estimation is worse than you. His second tactic was finding what in his mind were these over and above works that were going to put him over the top and that were going to be somehow meritorious before, before God, right? We got those two. If ever we're feeling down on ourselves about uh, something that's going on in our life or our, the way that we've interacted or our attitude or the, um, anything like that, we, we have this list that we can pull out of, here's some good things that I do, though. I may have done these things. I may have said these things. But at least I, I do these things, too. I give donations. I give time. I volunteer. I've got my life together in these ways that, that other people don't. 
and the truth is, those extra things, they are a self-esteem boost. They really are. So yeah, I'm a pretty good person because I do these things, right? They, they boost your self-esteem in the moment. That the comparisons make you feel good for now. But the, the, the truth is, neither of those things, comparisons or these list of extra good works that you have, none of those things can take away sin. They, they just can't. They might pacify a guilty conscience for a little bit. They might make you feel good about yourself here and now. But someday, you're going to stand before your judge and your judge isn't going to be comparing you to somebody else. He's going to be comparing you to his holy law. This is his, his holy law, the, the Ten Commandments. I, you've seen this sometimes before. Um, I sometimes put this in the, the worship folder, a confession based on the, the Ten Commandments. Um, it, it's a good way for us to compare ourselves to God's holy law. I, I don't have it printed in your worship folder today, but if you'd indulge me here, um, I'd like to, to read through this for you. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to compare yourself to this, reflect, reflect on your own heart, and, and do it honestly. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and say, how did you do? This is between you and God here. Uh, and, and reflect, okay? So first commandment is, you shall have no other gods. Have I failed to make God my top priority? Have I put possessions, school, work, pleasure, happiness, friends, or even family over God? Have I always sought to give glory to God? Have I always respected God, always loved God, always trusted God? Second commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Have I ever used God's name needlessly or inappropriately? Have I needlessly taken an oath using God's name? Have I used God's name in an oath to make people think that I was telling the truth when I wasn't? Have I called on God's name regularly in prayer? Have I given his name a good reputation to others? Third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Have I always been eager to receive the word of God? Have I ever been discontent over the, the correction of the word? Have I let something in this world crowd the word out of my life? Have I ever come to worship begrudgingly or out of compulsion? Have I ever given a half effort in listening to the word in worship? Have I ever refused to believe anything that has been written in the word? Have I, have I ever refused to obey what has been written in scripture? The fourth commandment, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Have I ever disrespected, dishonored, or showed anger to my father or mother or guardian? Have I ever disrespected, dishonored, or showed anger to my teachers, employers, or any government officials that have been placed in positions over me? Have I refused to live by any of the laws that have been put in place for the peace and safety of our city, state, and country? Fifth commandment, you shall not murder. Have I phys ever physically or verbally harmed someone? Have I ever harbored hate for someone else in my heart? Have I cared for my body like I should? Have I intentionally hurt myself or thought of hurting myself? Have I always been patient, kind, forgiving, helpful, and a friend to others? Sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. I ever, have I ever despised God's institution of marriage? Have I lived out my marriage to God's glory? Have I carried out my role as a spouse in a loving, compassionate, and gentle manner? 
Have I maintained my commitments to my spouse physically, mentally, and emotionally? Have I upheld God's biblical view of sex? Have I remained pure in not only my actions, but also my words and thoughts regarding sex? Have I ever lusted after someone I know or someone on a screen? Seventh commandment, you shall not steal. Have I ever wasted God's gifts? Have I ever taken what isn't mine? Have I ever lied in order to get something? Have I ever had thoughts of greed? Have I always been content, done my work faithfully, and helped others? The Eighth Commandment, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Have I ever lied? Have I ever betrayed someone? Have I ever negatively affected someone's reputation? Have I defended others, spoke well of others, took words and actions in the kindest possible way? And the Ninth and Tenth Commandments, you shall not covet. Have I desired something that is not mine? Have I ever been discontent with what I've been given? Have my desires always been pure and holy? That's God's standard. And any honest reflection on those uh, makes you take a different posture than that of the Pharisee, doesn't it? Even if we kind of felt good about ourselves before that, (laughs) After reading through those questions, and believe me, there could have been more questions too, our posture changes from that of the Pharisee to that of the tax collector. The tax collector's posture was a little bit different. He too was standing. Now, we shouldn't read into the standing thing a whole lot because that's how people prayed in that day. But we're given a couple other details about his posture. It said that he could not lift his eyes towards heaven. So his head's down, he's downcast. And it says he's beating his breast. That might communicate something different today than it did back then, but certainly the fallen expression communicates to us today. And what does it communicate? Sadness, disappointment, shame, probably a combination of all three of those, right? And this isn't a show He's not trying to, to show people that he is really sorry for, for his sins. He's not trying to win pity points with the people around him. This is an outward manifestation of what he feels in his, in his heart. Because he knows two things. He knows that he is a sinner who has sinned. And he knows that he has sinned against God who he deeply loves. This isn't just some, some random person that he sinned against that, that he cares nothing for. This is God that he sinned against, and he loves God with, with all of his, his heart. And so he is deeply sorrowful over what, what he has done. And so he says, with that posture, God have mercy on me, a sinner. No doubt words that you've spoken hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of times, have you ever, though, dissected those words? And what I mean is this. Have you ever noticed the punctuation of when you say that or when it's in the worship folder? There's no question mark. There's no question mark as if the answer is uncertain. This guy's not asking. He's not asking. He's saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's using the imperative form. You know why? Because he knows what the answer is going to be. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He, he knows. Now, now, certainly, would it be wrong to, to ask for forgiveness? No. 
Absolutely not. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we do ask for forgiveness in the form of a, of a question. Uh, but this man uses the imperative, and many times we use the imperative too, because we know the God that we are confessing to. Because we know we're confessing to a God who is rich in mercy and abounding in love. Because we know we're confessing to a God who makes promises to us, and he always, always keeps that, that promise. And so this, this man is using the imperative, God have mercy on me, a, a sinner, not because he thinks he deserves that mercy, but because he knows the God who he's confessing to. He knows what has already been done for him. That God would send his son to, to die on the cross for him. And you have that same confidence. As you confess your sins to God, you're confessing your sins to a God who has already provided you the, the sacrifice for your sins. He has already offered you that, that forgiveness. And so what God wants for you is he wants you to confess your sins, and don't just stop there. Confess your sins and trust beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are forgiven, that he has wiped everything clean, that he has forgiven your sin through Jesus, and that has all been taken care of. That produces a different posture, doesn't it? It's, it's not the one with the puffed out chest and, and the delighted expression on the face, but it's also not the one that, that is crushed and broken down and, and huddling in a corner because you couldn't stand before a God after, after reading his law. The posture that Jesus creates in your heart is one of humble confidence. Those are two words that, that typically, they, they don't go together, right? Humble and, and confident. But this is what Jesus produces in you. Through the law, he produces humility that you haven't measured up to his law. Through the law, he, he produces humility knowing that you have failed him and sinned against his law. But, but through the gospel, through the message of Jesus, you are given confidence that, that your sins have been paid for and that you have been set free. And that someday when you, when you stand before God as your judge, you're not standing there on the basis of your own works, but you're standing there on the basis of Jesus, who is perfect for you. The tax collector was the guy that went home justified. And if you remember what justified means, it means declared not guilty. The tax collector went home declared not guilty, not because of his posture, how he stood before God, but, but because of what that posture revealed about his heart. He had a heart that knew he was a sinner, knew he needed a savior, and he had a heart that trusted that God would and, and has saved him. God grant us that same heart. Amen. Hey, Pastor Wilkie here. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Hey, could you do us a favor? Could you hit like or, or subscribe on wherever you're listening to this podcast? That really helps us get seen by more people so that more people might hear about Jesus and, and hear the same message that you're hearing. We hope you, you come back and, and enjoy a, another sermon next week. God bless.